Facebook is gonna have the news. It's Monday, August 26, 2019, in Los Angeles. Alyssa's here, Scott is here, Hayes is here. We're all back together. Scott, how was France? France was fantastic. I did you see the naked ladies dance? <laughs> no, and I did not see the queen in her underpants either. Is that mm-hmm. that same rhyme? I'm yes. not, I'm not actually sure. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. No, France was fantastic. I was uh, out there with my partner Sarah. It was really lovely while we were there. Of course, they just had their like hottest weather in about seven. Oh yeah. Hottest weather like since the Nazi occupation a couple weeks ago. Oh my God. <laughs> so we missed that, and we had beautiful weather the entire time. It was a fantastic trip. I was just so juiced up on on transit and protected bikeways that now I am returning with um with some real annoying guy online energy, I'm sure. Uh, but I love I, how some people post like Instagram photos of like the Sen yeah. and you just got angry on Twitter. I was yeah, you had lots of I wasn't angry on Twitter. <laughs> I wasn't say angry. I'm just saying you process your vacation differently. Yeah. Some people are like, oh aren't you jealous of me? I'm like eating at that cafe at the Marais and uh-huh. in the Marais and you're like five minute headways. You're like Anna, Sunday, Anna, Sunday Anna, night. Anna Hidalgo is my queen. Um, I will worship her. It was kind of like, uh, you know, like the old um, Sonic the Hedgehog games where you just, you know, like spin up really fast and then you just shoot off. That was me in France. I was just preparing to just go off on Twitter when I got back <laughs> and now I'm ready. Is that any LA stories or that's well my LA story is not related to that. It's yeah. basically my it's my Metro Data Christmas time. Yeah, oh, yeah. Scott. Which uh it's so the worst <laughs> every July after the fiscal year ends, Metro compiles all of the data from the, the previous year and then like the first week of August. I knock on their uh, digital door and say, hand it over, punk. <laughs> and, um, so I received all of their station level boarding data for the rail system. They have a ton of things available. I haven't even had time to look at most of them because I didn't want my wife to leave me. Um, but the uh, the main things that came out of this year is the rail network is is definitely starting to struggle a part big part of that is the closures that w- were taking place on the blue line still are uh, and also and the expo line yeah also affecting the expo line but really only at the end of the time period right. that we're talking about here but peripherally yeah you you do have some people I, I pity those people who transfer from the blue to the expo line oh my god um, <laughs> i know people could, well that was the difference between what they did with the blue line and the expo line the blue line they had a dedicated bus lane that Correct. worked like gangbusters right and for the expo line they did not and it added easily an hour to everyone's yeah. daily commute added yeah so you you actually do see in the data even though the expo line closure was only part of the past year you see the 23rd and flower station of the expo line saw an actual like increase in the number of people who were getting on and off there just because of the shuttle buses basically compared to the previous year which is kind of interesting but then the biggest changes were stations along the blue line and we saw some blue line stations dip under a hundred thousand boardings for the entire year. Wow, which is which is bad for our uh, formerly most ridden rail line. For the green line, where it intersects with the blue line at, at Willowbrook Rosa Parks, ridership was down forty percent, um, and that followed consecutive yearly declines that were just related to the green line losing ridership and the blue line losing ridership. So it tumbled from, you know, it's been the third busiest station for a long time, and and it it fell out of that spot last year, but now it's really just going going down it will be interesting to see what happens when that reopens willowbrook station has been closed for almost all of 2019 when it reopens and i think october is still the plan we'll see whether or not riders do return hopefully they do yikes yeah people create habits when you shut it down for a long time it's it's really true Um, and it's hard to like especially if you have people riding the system who are there because uh the, the perception is it's cheaper than my car and I'm willing to put up with a little bit of hassle. The blue line, of course, suffers a lot of regular issues Mm -hmm. that affect whether or not it's able to run on time. This work is supposed to address that. But when you have those people go away for eight months and a lot of them do have cars at their disposal that they're just choosing not to use, it is an open question whether or not they will come back. Yep. Alyssa, what's your story? First day of school. 
Yeah. This week, my oldest so early. I'm is. Still not used to this. It's fine. I mean, we went to right back after Labor Day when I was growing up. So, what's the difference? They get out earlier. September versus August is a huge difference. It's better because they're in the air conditioning during some of the hot, hottest parts of the year, though. Mm-hmm. So it's like send them to school where they can be in the air conditioner. Which, well, not some, some of the some schools, schools don't don't well, have air conditioning. Some schools have to lie on the tile floors to well, stay yes. cool. My schools growing up were always August to May. And so, yeah, yeah I never, I never had the post Labor Day Fine. start, but that was in Arizona. Don't bring your Northeastern uh, mentality here. Hey, I hate seeing these kids go back to school <laughs> in August. But yeah, we're at LAUSD. It's super exciting. I mean, I feel like. Oh, it's first day at LAUSD. First day at LAUSD. My, wow. my, yeah, my oldest is there. It was just so great to be there and be part of something that I think is going to be a great thing for our family and for being a part of our community. I'm so excited. And to see everybody walking, mm-hmm. biking, scooting, I was gonna strollering say, to You school. must have a really good oh, like, God. It's just the to best. school. Yeah. yeah. Every day my kid got to ride her scooter. It was like, you know, set it was, up a, it's like too short to even ride a scooter. We're uh-huh. so close, but it's just like, it's just so great. Everybody's like doing the same thing. The new task was, force is going to set up a ticket trap for Avery <laughs> <laughs> on her way to school. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> It was great. It was great. And she had a great week. So I'm really excited. I don't have a story. I just have something that I found online. It was really most of my stories in my life. (laughs) This is something uh, this negates the need for us to have ever done a podcast. This is a TikTok posted by an account called Command Traffic that basically sums up the city better than our podcast ever could. This was brought to my attention by uh, Chelsea Lane, her account. She uh, reposted it, and I'm just going to play the entire thing. Okay, if you're young and you want to move to LA, I've got a couple tips for you. You want to live on the west side. Okay, I wish somebody had told me this when I moved here. That's Santa Monica, Venice, Marina del Rey, Playa Vista, Playa del Rey, Manhattan Beach, Hermosa Beach, or Redondo Beach. Now, Manhattan, Hermosa, and Redondo, these are like sporty places, okay? So if you're into sports, you want to move there. Venice is very artsy and Santa Monica is very artsy. Playa Vista is like the tech area now. West Hollywood, well, you know what West Hollywood's all about. <laughs> Hollywood is just dirty and gross. And Beverly Hills is just full of old rich people. <laughs> Downtown, although it seems cool, it's actually kind of whack and it's pretty dangerous still. So you want to live on the west side and then you can go visit these other places and go out and have fun. But at least you live on the west side. That's important. That just kind of covers the whole thing. Well, I mean, it's like it's like hearing our own words spoken <laughs> spoken back to us. <laughs> sporty. That is like a new dimension. We've never talked that's about hilarious. what neighborhoods are sporty. I mean, the and West Hollywood. You know what that's, you know all. What that's all about. <laughs> Hollywood is dirty and gross. I like. I love that. Oh, that is man. fantastic. Yeah, it's good. Uh, we got a lot of stuff to get into this week, but I want to start with the most recent breaking news that broke uh, at a press conference at 11 p.m. last night. Yeah. Okay, first of all, that's the biggest red flag. If you 11, this Saturday is- night <laughs> at 11 p.m., just the pre-SNL slot, you know <laughs> that, that when the sheriff's department sets a press conference for them, you know it's good news. Oh, God, yeah. Live from the Hall of Justice. Downtown LA. So earlier this week, I saw Lancaster trending and went and saw that there had been a shooting uh, in Mm -hmm. Lancaster. A sheriff's deputy was reportedly shot in the parking lot at the Lancaster sheriff's station by a sniper. And there was a huge manhunt all over the neighborhood for this sniper. The sniper got away. Then the story sort of evolved to like maybe it was a pellet gun Uh because the officer's wounds weren't that bad. But he did go to the hospital and was was, was treated for injuries. Story kind of went away for a little while. Sort of wondered why. Like, are we not still looking for this? Yeah, it's like we're not on high alert for this sniper. Attempted assassin. And then it came out at 11 p.m. on Saturday night that none of this happened it was a total hoax complete fabrication hoax i think is actually not yeah, really i don't think the that's right the word. right word yeah i it's think it's some, a lie it was a straight up lie perpetrated by the deputy himself hopefully this person is getting some kind of mental health care because but, it seems like there's some like that is this is a very bizarre thing to do but the intermediary part of this story sounds like he did actually have injuries so no he did not have injuries. he had no injuries. no injuries this is one of the revelations they reported that he went to the hospital and was being treated for his injuries but he was in good spirits uh-huh and so it, it turned out even the the trip to the hospital didn't take place 
The trip to the hospital did take place. Okay, okay. I mean, at least if it's a pellet gun thing, shoot yourself in the shoulder with a pellet gun or something. Right. If you're going to do something like this. Instead, he cut a hole in his shirt. Okay. Two holes. Like pellet gun size holes? I get, I mean, like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like this was super well thought out. <laughs> sure. <laughs> but he said he had been sniped. There was this whole thing. This is obviously, you know, I don't think this is the beginning of any kind of trend. This seems like a very specific case. What is a trend was the rush to demonize yes. whatever you're like politically against yeah. as being responsible for this shooting. I saw people saying that this is the result of antipathy towards law enforcement, blah, blah, blah. Leading the charge was a man named Rex Paris. Okay. Rex Paris is the mayor of Lancaster, <laughs> has been since 2008. He's a Republican. He's a personal injury attorney. And he went right at a Mental Health America facility, uh, like a multifamily building that provides housing and counseling to people who are suffering from mental health issues. He said, this is quoted from a story about it, that he was outraged that the housing was so close to the sheriff's station. He said, it's not just a four-story apartment building. It's a four-story apartment building that is government subsidized for mentally ill people. Why do you put mentally ill people in a four-story building across from the sheriff's department? It's indefensible and something has to be done about it. So that's like it's a building height plus yeah. proximity to people who are I mean, mentally I mean, yeah. ill. Sure. Like if you, if you really think about it, the four story building is is prime vantage for prime, the prime imaginary. Sniper sniper sniper. Sniper. The new yeah. argument that's what I was thinking. Yeah. 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 yeah, exactly. Sniper. Every top level apartment is a, a crow's nest from <laughs> which a sniper can potentially operate. This is the thing that's so bizarre to me. You have people in the GOP saying put law enforcement in every school in the country so they can defend students so they can be in the line of fire but now it's moved on to how dare you put these officers in danger right. of a potential <laughs> mentally ill person put i mean what do you want to put there just leave like a like one mile radius of, of just like to. undeveloped yeah. land or just single family homes <laughs> i think the, the the ideal relationship between police and the public is that everybody is either actively being guarded by their own personal police officer or they're in jail so the people that you're talking about would just be in jail Rex Paris, just a quick rundown on his deal. He has brushed up against a few scandals over his illustrious career. In 2017, he gave an interview with Vice where he said, good things happen when you're able to increase your Asian population to a certain threshold. Crime rates go down. Education levels go up. Interestingly, the same thing happens with the gays. That's why I put the new Performing Arts Center right downtown. Can you repeat the last Wait, so he's quitting the built... Like that's another thing. This is like a planning planning decision based on yes. explicitly based <laughs> we're on putting race. people where they that's, belong. That's why I put the new performing arts <laughs> center right downtown. He's made big overtures to the Chinese government to have companies BYD. in Lancaster. Yes. He also uh, referred to an African-American uh, city council candidate as a gang candidate who was going to draw gang members right. to Lancaster. In 2014, he joined a litigation. He is a personal injury attorney, but he decided to join a litigation against the mayor of Palmdale, his rival mayor, Palmdale and Lancaster. Yeah, it's got to be a big other. smackdown up there. Yeah. They won a corruption case and Rex Paris got a piece of a four and a half million dollar settlement. He also, maybe most famously, if you watch Dateline, he pulled political strings to there was a, a, a murder in a parking lot. He personally suspected the parking lot security guard. He pulled political strings to get this security guard charged with murder. The security guard was in prison for over a decade and then later found to be innocent and personally blames Rex Paris, the mayor of the city, yeah. for putting him in prison. Also, 2014, he was behind a move. I don't, don't think this actually ever went anywhere, but Lancaster, after a previous round of the homeless counts that we do every January led a push to try and close the Metrolink station up mm -hmm. there because he said that it was just funneling homeless people from downtown LA to Lancaster. And that was why their homeless to population... Close it? To yeah, close it? To completely it close it. To completely close it. They also closed the only they shelter. They can't afford it. Metrolink is so expensive. How can anybody they were completely, afford to completely close it and muting to and from Lancaster <laughs> yeah. from Skiro. To, uh, to add to Hayes' point about the rivalry between Lancaster and Palmdale, his point was anybody who is actually using it can just get on in Palmdale and also the homeless people who are getting off the train can just stay in Palmdale. That was his entire, wow. the entirety of his plan. Yeah. 
Wow. Uh, he also was part of the closure of the only shelter in Lancaster, which he said was going to be good for the homeless population of Lancaster because now this gave them the time to come up with a more holistic plan. He said to put them in a place where they belong. He said it's either going to be 4,600 homeless people for one year, the one year that they spend coming up with the plan, or 4,500 people for 10 years. If they build this shelter, then he says like 100 people are not going to be homeless anymore. They are still homeless if they're in a shelter. But those are the numbers that he crudged to justify closing a shelter because it's mutually exclusive to have a shelter open and come up with a plan to house people who are homeless. Interesting character. And I assume we'll be issuing an apology to this mental health facility who he accused some resident of of sniping a deputy from the rooftop when that was revealed not to have happened. Big story this week. We talked about we had Pavo Monkinen on the show to talk about these RENA numbers, the Regional Housing Needs Assessment that says that dictates how many housing units the, the, the state says that certain cities and regions of the state are supposed to build. Pavo was going to these SCAG meetings, the Southern California Association of Governments, to help come up with the recommendation for how many housing units they thought Southern California was supposed to build. He was advocating for more. Many city officials were advocating for less. They came up with an assessment, SCAG, called for 430,000 units which Pavo came on the show and said is not enough. Yep. And then Gavin Newsom and the state announced this week that instead of 430,000 units, Southern California has to build 1.3 million homes in the next decade. This was was the central point of, uh, I think, the second part of our conversation with Pavo was the fact that just because these numbers were put forth, that didn't mean that the Department of Housing for the state of California had to accept them. So... I think it's really good to see that Newsom, who we've been critical of during the first seven or eight months of his time in office, has made a governor, lot of promises on housing, has not really come through. Little, so far. little movement. This is the first thing that we've seen that has been a substantial kickback against the forces against building new housing, which are almost everywhere in the state totally in power uh, without much contestation. So it's good to see Governor Newsom and his uh, Department of Housing be willing to actively oppose that, I would say. Yeah. Now what happens is local officials freak out. They begin the process of trying to get every other city in Southern California except them to build this housing because it hasn't been divided up yet among the cities. They haven't decided how many new units LA needs, how many Redondo Beach needs, whatever it is. Or do they sue? Like, I, I mean, uh, absolutely. Some yeah, sue. So, There's no question well, about wasn't it. Wasn't there something where the mayor went, which was great. Remember we talked about this, like yes. we should encourage local leaders to show up. Like people didn't go to the last one and the mayor went. He did time. go to a SCAG meeting basically to advocate for every other city except LA (laughs) (laughs) to build more housing because he said that LA is keeping up its end of the deal. And then there was other talk chatter that like someone was trying to get Pavo Mm-hmm. disbarred from this process. To I try can to- guarantee <laughs> that that was happening without even <laughs> like seeing the evidence right. in person. So like the Beverly Hills mayor is probably John like Mirish. he's already started his campaign to offset his three units that he's supposed yes. to build to someone else, right? The interesting thing here, that this I think works in conjunction really well with a couple of different bills that we've seen come out of Scott Weiner's office over the past couple of years, which were signed into law by Jerry Brown before he left office. We do know that these housing elements traditionally have, when produced by cities, based on the orders given to them by a metropolitan planning organizations such as SCAG, the Southern California Association of Governments, mm-hmm. those housing elements typically are underwhelming. They don't a lot for a lot of, of new housing. But when we got SB 828 from Scott Wiener last year, I suppose that was, uh, even though it feels like ages and ages ago, SB 828 was the companion to SB 827, but did pass. And that was the one that said that anything that the city was ordered to build under Rena was required to be zoned for. Or they'd get in trouble. Or they'd get in trouble. Trouble of the the type that would allow for expediting the construction of housing under SB 35, which was another previous Scott Wiener. Construction would automatically be expedited if cities didn't build the housing themselves. And I think isn't there like stick, like in addition, I thought there were like tax implications as well. I think that they're, yeah, I think that that's correct. Um, And so when this, the way that this went was SB 35 passed and then the following year SB 828 passed Mm -hmm. and 
And now we're seeing adjustments to RENA actually be made. When SB 35 was passed, the one of the main com- comments was, this won't really have that much of an impact because cities have the authority to set these limits and they are really just going wild with the underwhelming numbers that they yeah. pick for themselves. When SB 828 was passed, it was the same thing where it was whatever RENA number that city got, they would have to zone for. But again, the RENA numbers t- uh, typically have been very, very low. Now we are seeing the state actually force cities to now indirectly through SCAG Mm -hmm. significantly increase the number of housing units they will be required to allot to individual cities and then the cities will be required to with a stick attached actually zone for so this could dramatically for the first time this would dramatically change housing production theoretically in the course of the next 10 years or so yeah but 10 years but what does it mean for like the next one or two years like how do we make sure that nothing yeah i mean i mean we are in they already have had reports that like housing production is going down in most cities like it's reversing the trends of the last few years yeah. LA is better than most, but like we're still not obviously doing a great job yet. So how do we change this in the next like year or two? What do we do? I don't I mean, like the the thing is the cities are so successful and honestly like the foot dragging that they do is almost the only thing that they seem to know how to do at this point. <laughs> so without that kind of uh stick that Hayes was talking about, you don't really expect them to start being proactive and taking their own action on this. What I do expect to happen is they will attempt to stop this from coming into place in some way, shape or form. The same way that earlier in this legislative session before our May housing massacre, local government officials were predicting complete and total chaos if SB 50 passed or if there were a partial repeal of Prop 13. You know, the local government officials are going to just doomsday until they are forced to take action. And I don't know what will change that in the near term. The conversation also turns to what kind of housing is now going to be built under this law, which is not as well regulated as just the fact that they have to put up units. So let's jump ahead to another thing that came out this week. The restaurant Tex in Echo Park. Okay, now is it? Everybody says a different thing. I believe it is Tex. You don't call it take? Everyone everyone does say it differently. How about Hey, you were in France. What would you say? This is Los Angeles. We don't pronounce anything right. So it's text, like text. I've it's heard people text. say it different ways. Just wanted to clarify. French restaurant that I have been to once. They pour your soup for you. I <laughs> can do it myself. Thank you very much. Hi. <laughs> and I went to the bar once as well. It's dusty, but has its like charm at times. Uh, at Echo Park Rising the other night, I was passing by and saw a very drunk couple being thrown out of there <laughs> with a guy saying, let's go home. <laughs> this, is, this was around uh, 7 p.m. <laughs> it is being redeveloped. It is not being closed. A lot of the response to this was like RIP text. I'll right. miss uh, the soup being also people being like the planning department should die but like it has nothing to do with them nothing, also yes the <laughs> property was sold by the owner of tex whose name i believe is michael tex yes and it was sold to a developer holland holland is the name of the developer not the the country itself they're based in vancouver <laughs> And not like Greenland. <laughs> so confusing. Also a developer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so confusing. Tex is Tex will remain. It's gonna be about as a, a third as big as it was, which was enormous. It was this Way too big. pretty big. Way, yeah. so it has really like big. fifty private dining rooms that are uh, not giant always. parking lot, a, yeah. a whole lane that's di- only for people to go into the Tex yeah. parking yeah, lot. Yeah, like a drive through for no drive through. It, it, it was like the the kind of like the mode of LA restaurant where it just seemed like if Sammy Davis Jr. so happened to come back from the dead. They were just ready. They were ready for him to be there. the Rat Pack was just going to roll through. That's that's not necessary at this point. And I also, white nationalists apparently, apparently hang up. I got I got people mad at me for saying that online. Although it happens to be true, it happens to be true. Uh, I think the the thing that people were mad about was my supposition that. What did you say his name was? Michael Tech. Michael Tech. Was somehow aware of or should have been aware of. I, I would say there's a reporter there from The Guardian who knew that they were white nationalists and was talking to them about yeah, the And what is it about your restaurant that is uh, so it's appealing? It's the same look. Yeah, it's like that, you know. I also don't feel bad Anglo, about it. Anglo, you know, Strictly from, from a perspective of 
they are either going out of business or they're not. I'm not telling people not to go there if you want to go. Well, here's the thing. They're not. They are. They're, they're, they're the restaurant in remains. So it's like, what does it matter? Also, you're allowed to sell your business if you own yeah, the property. Of course. And <laughs> but, I'm allowed not to eat at your I mean, Nazi friendly They're not selling the business. They're saying they're selling the property is what I was saying. Yes. And so now the question becomes like, what kind of housing is going to be built on here? Echo Park needs housing. There is a, a, a housing deficit in many neighborhoods in the city and in particular gentrifying ones like Echo Park. And the housing that is going to be built is for the very rich. Yep. It's 170 luxury apartments and a six-story building. Holland specializes in the kind of amenity-rich buildings that we talked about in an episode ago. from two weeks ago. Dog runs, I'm sure that they will have in the building, even though Echo Park Lake is one block yep. away. You don't need amenities in this part of Echo Park. That neighborhood is amenity rich. But they right. don't want to go for any kind of the inclusive bonuses because why it's already zoned to be. I think they are. Size. I think they are. I don't know if they're getting a bonus. I think they do. It is going to be some percentage affordable. I'm not sure what percentage that is, but most I, w- I would say it's probably 10 percent or less. Just the regular. These tend to be. Yeah, exactly. And most of them are going to be large. The TOC that we've been talking about, right? Yes, I assume be, it's a yeah. TOC because uh, right. it's six stories. I think right. it has to be TOC. Yep. Transit-oriented uh, communities building. So this is the question. This is the buildings for rich people. Mitch O'Farrell was uh, mad online this week at Roger Vincent, who wrote the article for the LA Times about the redevelopment. Also wrote the article about those fancy buildings that are going up downtown. Mitch O'Farrell said that it was not correct to say that it was a luxury building because it's going to be some percentage affordable, but Holland, the developers are very public with uh, advertising that we build luxury apartments. Yeah. Move here. It's very fancy and expensive. Of course they're going to say that. But I they mean, are. I mean, they are. Oh, yeah, they are. totally are. Well, but let's like take the example of like right across the street around the corner at Mohawk Bend. Yeah. That development went in. I can't even, I don't know what it's called or whatever, where it has the Starbucks Reserve. The Mohawk Collective. Oh, Okay. No housing on top at all. No housing So you're going to knock down amenities for the neighborhood that they use, like a laundromat, yeah. and put nothing in there. And they promised all these have. cool, like artisanal neighborhood businesses, and then they put in a Verizon store and a habit and burger, a habit burger, yes, and a Starbucks reserve. Yes, I so I feel like the neighborhood that I live in and that Hayes lives in, like Silver Lake, is sort of the poster child neighborhood for how. Americans have thought of gentrification for a long time. Yep. Um, but Echo Park, I think, represents a different and more insidious version of the gentrification process that I think is is probably more similar to other neighborhoods in L.A. Yep. that are gentrifying. We've talked at length on this show about gang injunctions. Echo Park had one of the longest gang injunctions in force in that neighborhood for, what, like 15 years Mm -hmm. or something like that. This sort of blanket policing and prejudicing on probably a more widespread level than the stop and frisk in New York City, uh, where if you were just like, if you happen to be Latinx in Echo Park, there was a very high likelihood that you were not going to be permitted by city police to be in the same room as your friends and neighbors mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and possibly family, family yes. and possibly family gentrification aided by police forces where you're just going to break community bonds, force people to move out or arrest them uh, and then replace them with other people who are like higher income. That seems to me like it is different from the Silver Lake process, which has been going on for like 50 years and really concerning. Like, Mm -hmm. I I think I I agree with you, like Holland, there is a question about what counts as like luxury housing. Yeah. But I think that that Holland is, is one of these developers that we definitely see coming in, looking at a neighborhood as a place where they can put down a sort of like fortress-like apartment building and some of the type that we have in downtown now where it's like you will not actually have to interact with the downtown LA environment that exists. Yeah. You will just drive into your building. We have everything that you need here. Don't go outside. Don't worry about those people. Just just stay in here. And they say on their website run. that they specialize in neighborhoods that are high barrier to entry and popular with the creative class. And that's Echo That's Echo Park. Sure, yeah. Like anywhere in LA, that's probably it. So let's talk again about another block the other way, yes. which is another housing development that's being contested. Yes. And that they had a discussion this weekend. Big City week Council for Mitch about, O'Farrell. Yeah, well, this, this one little particular strip of sunset is yeah. really super, super tough because there's this other conversation we've talked about before about an affordable housing project that's supposed to go up that would serve supportive, supportive yeah, yeah. That, would, that would serve well 
that's the question, right? Yeah. Is it how much of it is going to actually be supportive versus affordable, right? Mm-hmm. So this question of are we going to take nonprofits, you know, playground, sports facilities, a playground yep. that are not open to the public, but are part of this, you know, initiative that's part of it has been to address mm-hmm. some of the gang violence in the neighborhood. Yes. And what, how many units are we, are we going to put on this property and how many of them are going to actually serve the neighborhood again? So mm-hmm. we have these, you know, up and down the street. And then there's tons of stuff going up on like Alvarado, right in the same area, plus safe parking trying to get implemented at the library right there, right? Yeah. So we have in this block, yeah. all of these people trying to get housed and yeah. trying to find a place to live. And then there's a car wash across the street that nobody seems to be yeah. dealing with the car wash. We don't need another car I, I wash mean, at this intersection. Totally. I, I think there is, I actually went to Mitchell Farrell's office and tried to get them to in this specific part of Echo Park where they had done a down zoning because Mm -hmm. uh, one of his staffers, one of his prominent staffers, uh, Mitchell Farrell's actually lives in that area. And it is that person's hobby horse that there should not be new development in Echo Park at all. so They're I was also trying to do a historic preservation overlay zone in parts of Echo Park right now. It right. would stop all development. Right. And and these are things that are tools of the exact same kind yes. of gentrification, like the literal tools of the gentrification process that we are talking about. You are you're not preserving the communities that are living there. You're preserving a bunch of buildings of dubious historical merit Mm -hmm. and then as other places get developed then over time people are going to say oh i want to live in this like historic overlay zone and they're going to be like astronomically expensive um so those already are hpoz yeah they're ridiculous i i mean there's almost no case where an hpoz has been used in la that i think is justified Mm -hmm. i i can't really think of one but i i do I, i think that there is a conversation that should be had about TOCs and I think they've been really successful. We, I think, have seen, I've seen on Twitter that there are TOC applications for the majority of new multifamily units being built in the city right now, which means that the program is doing something right. That doesn't mean that there's nothing that could be improved about it. And I would be interested in seeing, you know, the the type of building that is going in here at Alvarado and Sunset, one of the better transit intersections in the city. And we're getting something that is going to be way above what anybody who like currently lives in the neighborhood could probably afford and also is going to be specifically marketed, not just to people who are not going to use transit, but is going to be marketed, I will say, in opposition to transit as a concept. Totally. Um, and, and I think that's that? But what if we say, what if this is part of it? Because that's the weird thing about the TOC guidelines and the affordable housing guidelines, where there was such a diversion, right? So it's like in some of these like supportive housing projects, they say you don't have to put parking in at all. Mm-hmm. And that's what's ha- helping people build certain projects, right? I believe the supportive housing project on uh, Glendale does not have anywhere close to the parking. Right. So that's what I'm saying. Can't we, why, why do we have such a disparity in these types of guidelines? This is such a, so we're saying like, okay, if you are formally homeless, we will just assume you will not have a need for a car. We won't require it. Why don't we Even force, that was a struggle. Yeah, though. even that to get there. Right. But like the other side of it needs to change too. We yeah. need to say half a car per unit or something like that. You know, we need to really come down the other way and say, if you want to move here, you have to have this, way of life. But like, here's this the is thing. what we're saying. Developers like Holland, you would need a parking maximum for these kind of exactly, projects because yeah. Holland yeah. is putting the parking in whether or not it's required right. because they don't yep. care about how much they need to charge and they're for the spending more. They're charging more because they're spending more to build them and they're going to charge it back to the people who But that's their there. model. That's but what that's they want to the do. I yeah. mean, that, but that's the part that we need to fight. Like we need to, that needs to be changed. If you are trying to convince me we need parking maximums, I'm, I'm already there. I'm, I'm already there. But in downtown, they're already having that conversation. About minimums. About about well about is, well yeah but we need to be about maximum but that that if can't extend out to a part of another part of the city that has such good transit accessibility that is what or any of the you know gold line expo line red line any of that you know it's just that we can't have that conversation when we're outside of downtown is just a really maddening part of building anything I, and i'm i'm so frustrated with I'm the fact like that we're used, no so. no I know. i'm so frustrated <laughs> with the fact that we're still having that conversation in downtown right, and it seems, hasn't actually progressed yeah, beyond that, that we're just getting to that part 
I don't even know. The, the, the last thing that I would want to say about the, the Echo Park development in the context of the, the SCAG conversation that we were having earlier is that one really great way to ensure that we as a SCAG region could meet this, this goal yes. would be to just zone for yes. fourplexes everywhere. Ooh. Those are the things that are naturally affordable. Ooh. They're naturally more affordable. You're not talking about adding these enormous structures with parking podiums that are going to require rents far above and beyond what are, are currently in the neighborhood. Plus, by doing it en masse, you end up... Uh, uh, that's my French coming out. <laughs> <laughs> Forgive me. So doing it uh, in bulk like that, you have the benefit of counteracting the amenity effect of uh, mm -hmm. just upzoning in specific locations. If we were to, on a grander scale, increase the the buildable units from one to four in neighborhoods like Silver Lake and, uh, and just like throughout the LA Basin, uh, then you end up with actual small developer competition that does, in some ways, limit what can be achieved in terms of rent. You're not just getting two or three times right. what the current prevailing rent is in the neighborhood. But I could still see, even for a fourplex, luxury development winning out in the race for like how much they're willing to pay for well, a lot does. or whatever. Yeah, because that's because we don't build enough of the rest of the places. And I mean, it's, that's it's what's mostly going illegal to, to build smaller units, but there is a way for the city to get involved and regulate this type of development to demand that like some higher percentage of it be affordable. Like those developments sure. will yeah. happen mm -hmm. and it will, re it will reduce the kind of luxury development that is not really helping people get housed and like stay in their neighborhoods. Like, but, and it's all on the city to, to do that kind of thing. I completely agree. All, all I'm saying is we have in the near future, it may not be this year, it may not be next year, it, but because of what Newsom and his Department of Housing are pushing in the near future, we can expect that the city of Los Angeles in particular is going to be required to zone for a lot more new housing than it currently has capacity for. Yeah. In order to do that, there are competing ways that we can do that. We can do that the way that LA traditionally has, which is we can zone for very large lot mega developments, yeah. which are going to always be extraordinarily expensive. Yes. They will be clustered in a few neighborhoods. I would say you can't do unless you want most of those units to be empty. I mean, at some point, the demand for that is going to run out if it hasn't already. For sure. Yeah. Uh, and, and and they they are just naturally more expensive. So we can do that. And those are going to be clustered in a few neighborhoods, which are gentrifying downtown Koreatown. Westlake, Echo Park, East Hollywood. Those are going to be the neighborhoods that are going to see the majority of the development if we are that limited with how we want to mm -hmm. achieve this massive upzoning that is going to be required by the state. The other way to do it is more broad-based and on, on a smaller scale. Those will be naturally more affordable. Or carve up the mansions. That, mm -hmm. that is acceptable. That's the <laughs> we'll best totally possible take that. scenario. <laughs> <laughs> news story that is also an old story that also involves Mitch O'Farrell. There was conversation this week. Uh, L.A. has a municipal code, section 4118, that basically makes it illegal to sit, lie, or sleep on any public sidewalk in the city. Yep. This section of the code was made illegal by a case, Martin v. Boise, and that is pronouncing it correctly, <laughs> that uh, the Ninth uh, Circuit... They're French. Scott's uh, <laughs> like, no, Boise. <laughs> the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals struck down a law that Boise had that outlawed the same thing, sleeping in any part of the city. So 4118 needed to be revised. And so there was some thinking that the city council would go, there, uh, specifically the Homelessness and Poverty Committee, would meet this week and say, okay, we need to soften this language to make it okay for people to... Uh, sleep, lie, or sit on the sidewalk as long as there's access for uh, wheelchairs or things like, you know, like rules like that. They actually arguably made it more strict than it was before. Mitch O'Farrell, who leads the Homelessness and Poverty Committee, put forward from the city attorney's office this language that prohibits sitting, sleeping, or lying within 10 feet of a driveway or building entrance, within 500 feet of a park, school, or daycare center. And some of the language uh, considers uh, including school routes, not just schools, within 500 feet of a homeless shelter or homeless housing that has opened since January 2018, and any way that violates free passage of someone in a wheelchair, on bike paths, in or upon any tunnel, bridge, or pedestrian subway that is on city-designated school route, on public land with posted no trespassing signs and closing times, which includes many, many parks, on crowded public sidewalk areas like those where street vending is outlawed, like near Staples Center, near large venues. On top of that, 
the proposed law would make it illegal to follow or speak to a person in a manner that could cause them to fear for their safety or loss of property, like to intimidate How is that tied to it? a person. It is tied How to it because be part of it? it's directly targeted at homeless people. At, you know it's I not mean, referring to anybody else. It's just to, to tag that last part onto it, I think is like the most insidious because then you can get somebody for anything. Right? Honestly, oh, so, uh, <laughs> Michelle Farrell is really... Uh, an anti-public space politician in general. Like he was the one who put forward the proposed regulation a couple of years ago that was like, you would not be allowed to be in a public park with a playground as an adult if you did not have a kid there. Yes, that reminds me of something that has made me very mad in the past couple of weeks. Eric Garcetti has been talking about our homelessness crisis as the death of the public square, the death of public space, because no people are using these public spaces because there are too many people in them. He's almost he's almost right in in the sense that like the freaking Yogi Berra, like, <laughs> it's crazy. In the no sense one goes there anymore. It's too popular. That's what 70, it is. 70 uh, whatever years ago, as a city, we decided that we wanted to make all of our public spaces as unfriendly as possible because people just hate the homeless and just like want them to be miserable but they still have to be somewhere they have to like physically exist somewhere mitchell farrell though like he he does these kind of things regularly the last bit that you read sounds like the most blatantly unconstitutional thing that i could possibly imagine like you're Absolutely. literally restricting speech, speech within a specific distance that also of these and it locations. says that could cause the victim of your speech to lash out violently that is illegal that is absurd yeah. yeah so if someone beats you up for right. speaking to them you uh you are uh the person who is criminally liable the, the crime yes this sailed through the homelessness and poverty committee obviously <laughs> Uh, I listened to the audio from it. There are no cameras in this committee, but none of the council members there, Mitch O'Farrell, David Rue, Nuri Martinez, and Marquise Harris-Dawson, I believe there was another member who left early, but none of them asked any questions in the question and answer period on this language. They just passed it right through to be considered by the larger city council. Only Mike Bonin, the next day, came out and said in very strong, very strong language, terms, yep. literally that this, uh, he said, having encampments all over LA is a total clusterfuck. He used an uh, ampersand yeah. and an at sign and stuff. And people housed and unhoused have every reason to be angry. We need a policy with clear, enforceable and humane rules about where people can sleep. And he came out against this new language that basically says, uh, we're just arresting people, moving encampments around, uh, he said that this is a false promise uh, to people that are trying to get rid of encampments because it's going to be sued into oblivion immediately, yep. like you're saying. It's blatantly unconstitutional. Uh, and it tells people who are homeless that it identifies places for them to sleep while effectively creating mechanisms to make that impossible. That is 100% true. This is a political act. It's to appeal to the base, which are homeowners that want the city council to, quote, do something about homelessness, which, which means put them in prison. Yep. And this, this is actually something that I think that and hope that we are starting to see change in Los Angeles. The notion that the reactionary homeowner is the base. I think that is absolutely true for yes. all of the, well, uh, yeah, all of the people who are currently sitting on LA City Council. I have no doubt that that is true. I do think that we are in a, a bit of a transition period where we've seen Mike Bonin take increasingly stronger stands on this. To date, he is the only person who is doing so. But it is a far cry from where we were even a year ago when we were getting, it was 85.02, yeah. like that uh, sleeping uh, vehicle dwelling ban renewed without any kind of even public reaction to it. No kind of backlash there. That has started to change very dramatically in the past year with uh, increased uh, neighborhood advocacy from groups like Sela, which mm-hmm. Hayes is a part of, and like Koreatown for All, which arose in response to the pushback against the bridge housing project in, in that neighborhood. Things do feel like they are shifting, and it feels like uh, Angelinos, who I would say are actually the base, like not homeowners, but renters who are living in apartment neighborhoods who are witnessing how horrible the criminalization of homelessness is on a daily basis. And who understand how ineffective it is. I mean, under, even if yep. your interest is getting encampments off the street, this is a complete, this is at cross purposes to that happening. It's making it harder for people to get out of homelessness for the short term gain of certain homeowners being happy that an encampment is off their block. I will also say that something that is genuinely 
evil about the proposed change changes to regulations that are being put forth by Mitchell Farrell, by the four council members that you mentioned who voted for this in, in committee. I believe it is genuinely evil to put forward that list, which you obviously know is unintelligible. Like there, there's not a way as a person living your life, let alone as an unhoused person without the resources to figure all of that bullshit out. It will not ever be known to anybody reasonably whether or not they are violating one of those regulations. It puts homeless people at the complete whim of law enforcement and whatever homeowner decides to complain about a homeless individual, because I think we can also assume that law enforcement actually probably will not check whether or not any of these no, things are true. If they get a complaint, if they get a complaint, they will assume that they are violating something and they will remove that person possibly to jail, possibly with the loss of all of their possessions. And I do think that it is completely, it is willful harm that is being perpetrated again by the city council against unhoused Angelinos who are like we keep saying, growing at, at histo- a historic rate. Because of policies like Because this. of policies like this. They don't even have to bother, LAP doesn't have to bother with like planting drugs or whatever anymore. They can just say like, this person spoke to me in a way that made me feel unsafe and, and take them to prison. Mitch O'Farrell in an ABC7 article was quoted as saying about homeless encampments, there is danger. No matter what someone may say or claim, danger lurks in homeless encampments. Give me a fucking break. It is a very dangerous lifestyle yep. for these people who are yep. homeless, who have an average lifespan of like 48 or something like that. Yep. It is incredibly dangerous for those people. But this does this policy may, does not make it any it safer fix that. for yeah. the people that are for women who have to sleep on the street by themselves. I mean, are you kidding me? Their, yes, their life expectancy yeah. is even lower. Yeah. And instead, this just gives them the opportunity to throw these people in jail. And when they come out, go right back to an encampment and never be able to find a job and never be able to get out of addiction issues or mental health issues or whatever it is. So like when you introduce something like this and you say and you have all this language and you say all these places that people cannot go, the last part of it should be. And that is why we have opened up this parking lot in this yes. neighborhood and this motel we've we've made these places as part of this and how are we not at that point yet where you can say here is a safe place in every single neighborhood where you could go if you don't feel like you have a safe place to to sleep or you might feel threatened by law enforcement that are coming after you well because that's i mean that's the entire game right is that you want to be able to say facially we're doing something that we can think the term that got used in this committee meeting was legally defensible. I don't know if that was like mm-hmm. Joe Buscaino or something like that, somebody like that, saying that this would be something that could be defended in, uh, against lawsuits based on the, the Boise settlement. But or I guess that was a ruling, not a settlement. But what we do have is a city council that is very indebted to specific homeowner groups and wants to make sure that they can say they are doing what they can to keep homeless enca- encampments away from people who are by the standards of the, the homeless people we're talking about, so wealthy as to like defy belief, right? Like that the entire premise is not that we're going to actually do anything constructive for the homeless. It's that we are going to say that we are doing things in their best interest while actually just trying to scatter them to the winds and like whatever happens to them is somebody else's problem. Yeah. I want to uh, correct what I was saying earlier. The person who who left the Homelessness and Poverty Committee early was Mike Bond, and he was not there for that vote. Mike, I, I really appreciate you speaking out on this stuff. He did on 8502 as well, but he also wasn't there for that vote. You got to be at these things. You got to use your power in committees, which is much stronger. Your power is diluted when it goes to the main council. It's, you're one of five votes versus one of 15. Like, of course, it would, it'll be a unanimous vote. And the few people that want to speak out against it are going to not show up that day in council. They don't like to call each other yeah, out Yeah, so once right? again, we'll have like a 12 to 0 ruling and this will go into effect. And then what are we supposed to do now? I mean, this is really, it's gotten to the point where we're just chasing people around the city when we need to be helping them. I'll say this. The 8502 meeting about vehicle dwelling was very, it got shut down. Yeah. The meeting about this, 4118, is going to be worse. It's going to be shut down and before it, it starts. Yes. Speaking of policy that endangers people's lives, I'm going around town. I'm going to pitch a show called Scooter Squad. 
It's an elite tactical unit of LAPD officers that goes around. They use invisible wire for anyone who is scooting down a sidewalk uh, to clothesline them basically in a safe way way. (laughs) and give them a $200 ticket. This is uh, a um, less interesting version of that is happening this week. Paul Koretz has announced a an actual scooter unit that is designated to seek out scooter riders who ride on sidewalks. How do they get around? I assume uh, cars. I mean, how else are they going to roll up on these Go scooters? Go on. Go on. <laughs> and give them tickets that are $197 plus fees. This came out at the same time as Lauren Nelson, friend of the show, uh, reported that uh, the number of tickets given to scooter riders has gone up, uh, gone up substantially. Uh, in June alone, there were 249 citations, which is an 1,800% increase from last year. And the rule now is uh, is supposed to be you can't ride on the sidewalk. Uh, user, users can ride in the street if the posted speed limit is 25 miles per hour or slower. And they have to be as close to the right-hand curb as possible. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're going to turn left. I guess you're out across <laughs> the street, use a crosswalk, whatever. That's what I've had to do many times. And scooter riders can use bicycle lanes. So if you're on one of the majority of streets yep. in Los Angeles that are uh, 35 miles per, per hour or uh, above, or, or uh, and anything that's above 25 and doesn't have a bike lane, you are riding SOL. illegally. Yes, or you, you are riding dirty. A two hundred dollar ticket. Paul Caretz is a self-described environmental uh, council member. Wants a climate emergency to be implemented. Climate mobilization in the city. And uh, I mean, Caretz, his whole thing is cars are good. Anything that slows a car down is bad. I, I do think that we need to take into consideration when we're talking about this. Use as the context for this. Like you're saying in Lauren Nelson's article in the Times, we're talking about skyrocketing tickets being used. This is, I, I think, it, unquestionably a way to discourage people from riding scooters at all. Um, but the the number of tickets being issued to scooter riders is going way up. But L.A. is like most of California, a, a city where you are almost it's almost impossible for you to actually get a ticket in your car for mm-hmm. speeding, which people do all the time yes. because there's a state law that says that uh, in order to prevent cities from putting in quote unquote speed traps, uh, they need to do these speed surveys every some odd number of years yes. and then like set the speed limit at the prevailing speed on the so road, increasing the and speed and limit so, in order to even review it. So LA has decided not to do these speed surveys. I guess they started doing them recently with, uh, they're Salida. still doing them. They, yeah. they didn't do them for a long time because they did not want them. to have to increase the speed limits on streets. So it is illegal for the local police to give you a speeding ticket on most arterials because these speed surveys have not been done. Contrast that where people are dying literally daily, daily because people behave in like an unsafe manner with their cars because they speed. We know that speeding kills people uh, with our extreme vigilance against the scooter mob who are just terrorizing our streets and need to be ticketed in such a way that for me, like I'm not a regular, like Hayes, you ride scooters all the time. I'm a scooter commuter. You are in Paris. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Which is the only place I know of where a scooter rider has killed someone, a pedestrian, Uh a scooter, a scooter on pedestrian collision killed killed someone. someone. The only one that I'm aware of. Yeah. Right. So what did you see as part of scooter culture? There were a lot of people. There are apparently a lot oh, of no, people. People were talking them. about that all the time. Yeah. They were terrified. They didn't want. No, I'm kidding. Um, they. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, their scooters were everywhere. <laughs> scooters were, were everywhere. They have a lot more places to put them in such Wait, a way that they're not blocking. That the must sidewalk. be a French thing, though. I mean, explain <laughs> it. Go go back. I mean. okay. But, no, but uh, they, they, they it was very, very similar to what we've talked about on this show in the past you know the putting the places to park scooters and also bikes on the road rather than uh on the sidewalk itself makes it a lot more a lot less of a problem for accessibility of course paris being a two plus thousand year old city has Mm -hmm. its own accessibility issues that are, are different than ours um but they they have incorporated scooters in a uh in a way that seems more seamless than we have which is you know it's 
weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think that when you when you look at the response from Councilmember Koretz, this this is just the latest in a long line of things that he's said. He just doesn't want them to exist and be around because they are they make his constituency, which is very rich people on the west side, annoyed. And anything that makes rich people on the west side annoyed needs to not exist. He has called uh, scooters anti-vision zero, which should mean that he likes them because he is anti-vision zero <laughs> as well. As Street Squad pointed out, uh, he's come out against a lot of vision zero measures. Uh, he says that uh, I, I think he said a couple people have uh, have died on scooters in L.A. That's not true. There was one person who was killed on a scooter who was targeted by a pickup truck. Yeah, who was actually run, murdered. Who was murdered on yeah. a scooter? Yes. No pedestrians have been killed by scooters, but that if you wanted that to happen for people to die on scooters, this is what you would do. You would force them into the street instead right. of the sidewalks. When I commute, there are really long stretches of sidewalk that I know are safe on like Santa Monica Boulevard and like the more businessy part where there just are not many people on the sidewalk. I'll ride on the sidewalk all day long because there are no lanes and I will be killed if I'm in the street. And that will happen as a result of this policy. Well, what I saw, if you want to talk about that kind of ticket, right? Have you gotten that, you know, there are jaywalking tickets that are given out that are that much money. So you can get a ticket for that much money for dangerously starting to go through an intersection when the countdown, well, they changed that rule, but like dangerously walking through an intersection or crossing uh, a street where there's no light because you heaven forbid you'd have to walk like you know half a mile to get to the next signal the other thing it's being equated to is not stopping at a stop sign when you're in a car right Mm -hmm. so like that's the kind of ticket you get a moving violation and that actually would kill people (laughs) that is something that but yet but yet and we've all been hit by cars in this room like there's three of us in this room (laughs) we've been hit by cars in the city because there is a lack of enforcement or safe infrastructure to be getting around on a foot or a bike or a scooter in. And you're going to say that we're going to focus on this instead of going to all those intersections and actually ticketing people who are Are running running, stop signs. Right. Absolutely. Just they're trying to get rid of our French culture all over the city. It's techs, it's scooters. (laughs) This is, I mean, and, and Paul Caretz, I mean, also if you're out there, I'm just going to start having a direct plea to these people who are trying to say that climate is somehow not connected to a safe infrastructure in our city. If I had a way to get around with my children who I was on a bike with at Ciclavia last weekend, if I had a way to get to every single thing with them, I would be on that bike. But I was terrified getting home from Ciclavia last week. We left the route. It felt so good. And then we had that last mile to get back to our house. I was scared. I was hot. I had no place to go with my kids. I had to walk the bike up a sidewalk because there was no bike lane that continued into the, not even a bike lane, a bike sharrow route that continued across the street. I mean, this is a situation that needs to be fixed immediately. Yeah. I just want to point out that's that. where I was hit, was on my way home from Ciclovia. Two really? blocks from home. Yeah. What? Yeah. I, I do. I, I want to say like as a, as a marginal scooter rider, like I feel like I am the exact class of person who is actually being targeted by these new ticket enforcement uh, oh, strategies yeah, by the city I mean. because specifically because there might be situations in which I would use them. I'm not, you know, like I, I think that they're a good way to get short distances and, and they're like, they're fun and, uh, and all the rest, but I don't actually seek them out. And so when I hear that there are ticket stings and you there are, are a whole list yes. of new rules that I You're would need to learn, why, w- why would car. I? Yeah, yes. no. The population, this is totally anecdotal, but that, that uses the scooters as well that, that I see just scooting around are young people of color, which is yes. uh, obviously. And, uh, and obviously, if you don't have those people as your constituents who are people who yes. are voting for you, you're not going to go out and talk to them and be like, hey. How are you getting it to work tomorrow? Yeah, oh, I mean, it's not like Chris has a, a large public university in his district or anything. Or they just banned jump bikes from uh, Uber no longer allows the jump bikes to be parked on UCLA's campus. We have to wrap up. We'll just quickly mention the story that we talked about last week. Former planning director Michael Logrand was uh, fined $218,000, as we talked about, for uh, lobbying for Soho House and other developments uh, only a few months after he left office. He's supposed to wait a year. 
came out this week that he was also being paid by the city $18,000 a month in consulting fees at the same time. So he was triple dipping, whatever it is. Who who knows? (laughs) We will be back next week on LA Podcast. Thank you for listening. Bye-bye. Hey!